Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Chris Reese, today, and I'm your co-host, Helen Hillix. We've got a great show today. It's entitled Cattle Ranching in the 21st Century. Is there such a thing as interrevolutionary cattle ranching? Today, our guest is Bill Cordasco, president of Babbitt Ranches. Bill will share his experience and vision for the future as an environmental steward and cattle rancher. Are these two passions congruent? How do you navigate that tough terrain? The values of character, nature, and community have guided Babbitt Ranches since its founding in 1886. A family-owned business, Bill has steered the company, no pun intended, through environmental challenges and the economic reality of running a private ranch. Bill's passion to do the right thing is interrevolutionary. How do we stay connected to one another in the face of criticism and daunting shifts in the economic and political landscape? How do we consider the highest good of all as we long to preserve a way of life that pre- previous generations have built? Can cattle ranching follow the interrevolutionary principles of oneness, accountability, and mutual support? How do we create a vision for the future that will hurt some people and possibly disappoint others? Can we come together as a community and support evolution? Let's talk openly with Bill and find out together. So, I'm turning it over to you, Chris, for interrevolutionary news. Thanks so much, Helen. Uh, it's so great to be here today, and Bill, welcome to the show. Really, really interested to hear your perspective and excited that you can share your experience and story with our guests. First, we're going to talk a little bit about the news, um, and it's actually a perfect segue into our show today because so often when we read something in the news, it's pitched towards a certain perspective, right? Like it wants to appeal to the left or to the right or to women or to men or to people who feel like they um, are in a poor economic situation or people who are wealthy and want to preserve their wealth. So the news is very slanted. And as with anything, when we look at it from an interrevolutionary perspective, we try to consider all sides and then we try to see going forward what would be for the highest good of all. So on that note, there's a lot of press right now about what other countries and individual states and cities are doing in the face of Trump withdrawing from the Paris Accord. And there's a note that I found, an article about um, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, and some action that he's taken. And I love the headlines because it appeals on one level right away to the environmental uh, people who support the environment because it reads France to ban all new development of shale, oil, and gas. So I looked at that and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And then I thought, what about those people that have jobs? What are they doing for them? How are those people, you know, how are they going to live? Which is always something I worry about when I see us um, moving away from a certain industry because I know it affects people's livelihoods. So as I go on and I read the article, apparently um, Arnold Schwarzenegger um, did kind of a play on the Terminator film and posted a selfie of himself with Macron where they mocked Trump's withdrawal from the U.S., withdrawal of the U.S. from the Paris Agreement. And I looked at that and I'm like, ah, that's not really how we want to present information, right? Because that just drums up negative feelings and it gives people a moment of feeling perhaps um, superior to Donald Trump if they're environmentalists. But it really doesn't move us forward to get to any kind of solution that we need. And as you dig into this, um, France's plan right now 
is to stop future development, but they're not stopping um, the development that's that's in play right now. And so, of course, certain environmental groups feel like they haven't gone far enough. And, you know, my own personal opinion is I don't know enough about this. I don't know enough about what's happening in France um, to have an opinion about what's right or wrong. But I noticed that it speaks to that part of my heart that hopes that we can come up with a solution as humanity to stop global warming. And then it speaks to that part of me that hopes we can create a strong enough community so that those people whose livelihoods are affected um, find alternative ways to, you know, to survive, feed their families, and hopefully thrive. There's another article that I just love, and it's in the same vein, because China, of all countries, is coming out with some amazing, some amazing creative uh, new ways of trying to minimize the pollution. And of course, we know China's had horrible pollution for a long time. So China has created the first large, the, the first um, forest city they're going to they're going to plant 40,000 trees to fight air pollution and they're calling it a forest city and if you get a chance to see the pictures of it I'm sure you could google it and find it very quickly you look at this and you just think god that's beautiful like what a great idea that is and then when you go a little bit farther into any article of course you're going to then see pictures of Chinese citizens who have on masks as they go through um, any kind of major urban area to protect themselves from the pollution. So, you know, our hope and our prayer is that we can stop ourselves as a species, right, from getting so far down the road that our citizens have to wear masks and then we have to take these dramatic steps to prevent global warming. You know, if only we could get a little bit smarter and turn our attention to um, some measures that could be taken now all the while taking in consideration the need for people to have a livelihood and for people's way of life to be preserved. And I feel like that's a natural segue to talk about what's happening with the cattle industry and to hear what Bill Cordasco has done um, where and Ballot Ranches have done their part to try to do things and preserve the environment. But before we move on and talk to Bill, I'd like to see if um, Helen or Bill, if you have any comments about the interrevolutionary news that you'd like to share. Well, I love both of those articles. I mean, anytime we're doing something to to love our planet, it it's definitely good good with me. I'm on board. Okay, well, super. So, Bill, let's start out by um, just giving our audience a feeling for Babbitt Ranches. You know. If you could describe the scope of the cattle operation, um, talk about a little bit about the history of the ranches and how you run an, uh, an organization that's supporting the environment and um, that's a very sustaining um, ecological and environmental uh, ranch. Well, um, thank you, Chris. Um, so Babbitt Ranches is, uh, first off, it's located in northern Arizona. Uh, between Flagstaff and the Grand Canyon. Um, it encompasses about 750,000 acres of land, and um, that land is made up of uh, some uh, public land as well as private and state. We run about 8,000 head of uh, what is called Hereford cattle, and uh, we also have about 100, 150 um, 
American quarter horses, and uh, we breed those and uh, and use those for our operations for our cowboys. Um, there's extensive waters and you know pipelines and dirt tanks and other things. Our cowboys they live uh, far apart uh, with their families in what we call ranch camps, um, and uh, you know um, I don't know um, the ranch started in 1886. And it was when five brothers uh, decided uh, to catch up with the uh, Go West uh, efforts. And um, they, they hopped a train and ended up in Flagstaff and uh, with a little bit of money, uh, bought some cattle and uh, eventually some land. And from there, they just continued to uh, grow their ranching operations as well as some other businesses uh, that they entered into over, over a period of time. And, uh, you know, today the, the ranches is owned uh, by family. Uh, there are many owners and uh, their, their kids and other parts of their family. Um, and our last uh, family reunion was a couple of years ago. There were over 500 Babbitt family members that came, and it was really quite a special, special weekend. Um, but otherwise, I think that... Um, you know, I think if it's all right with you guys, I'd like to just maybe move on with, with out of the history a little bit and just tell you what our mission statement is for Babbitt Ranches. Sure. I think yeah. that's important. Uh, you know, so this is the mission of Babbitt Ranches. Through our efforts of learning and understanding, Babbitt Ranches, a family business and pioneering land company, raises livestock, manages natural resources, promotes science, and participates in the broader community in order to join, share, and do the very best we know how. And so ultimately, I think, you know, the drive certainly is to have, uh, you know, the best cattle that we can, the best horses, you know, to do the great amount of stewardship and conservation that we can. Um, but really, in the end, I mean, you know, it's, it's about us, you know, individually and collectively, uh, you know, doing our very best. Um, and to help guide that, uh, effort, um, that mission, Babbitt's developed what we call the Constitution of Babbitt Ranches. And it has four principles, or pardon me, ten principles. And the first one starts out with philosophy and multiple bottom line. And the reason it's important to mention this is because, again, it, it emphasizes learning and understanding in order, you know, and not just about ourselves, but about others. Uh, but it incorporates this multiple bottom line as an organization, you know, as a business. And that's, it's very important because the, what, it, what those, that multiple bottom line includes is the organization itself, you know, the stewardship of the organization, uh, the owners, uh, the employees, uh, the rest of the community that's involved with our operations, but the ecology, the environment, uh, you know, in general. Uh, of course, uh, you know, economics is always going to be an important part of the bottom line, so to speak, for any business. Um, but in the end, it's about uh, being aware of the community as well. Um, and so when we make decisions about anything regarding the livestock or the land or any other uh, business that we're, we're discussing, we go through these four multiple bottom line uh, areas uh, to be aware of them. I think <clears throat> what in the, it does in the end is, is it promotes a sense of uh, responsibility and obligation uh, and uh, awareness of ourselves and of others, and so that hopefully we're able to make, uh, you know, a better decision about what we're doing. Uh, along with that first uh, multiple bottom line uh, part of the Constitution, we have a conversation council creed. A, a lot of companies have board of directors, um, and, uh, you know, at Babbitt's we call it the conversation council. And interestingly, it came uh, from a quote from Margaret Wheatley, 
And, you know, she put in there, she said, human conversation is the most ancient and easy way to cultivate the condition for personal, organizational, and community change. And, you know, when you're running a family business and when you have a lot of cultural values like the, the cowboy industry and, and, and other values that come into play, you have to talk. You have to listen. And anyway, by establishing the Conversation Council Creed and having it set up that you're called the Conversation Council rather than the Board of Directors, it really promotes kind of that uh, listening and uh, participating in a way that, uh, you know, it just it feels, it feels good. Uh, and, uh, you know, for example, we, we commit to listen with detachment and to speak honestly. Uh, we acknowledge that it is not our differences that may divide us. It's our judgments about each other that do. Things like that uh, that, you know, flow into our decision making and our participation in making those decisions. Can, can I, can yeah, I, well, it's so fascinating to me, Bill, and I, I really want to thank you for, for coming on the show today. Um, I don't know if you had something to ask first, Chris, but the, the whole oneness conversation Please just jumps at, okay, the whole oneness conversation jumped out at me from what you're saying. And, you know, I know that Chris pre- Uh, told you beforehand that we'll be talking about oneness, accountability, and mutual support. And it feels to me, just from the sharing that you've done so far, that you are taking all those three principles into consideration in the running of your company. And I I did spend some time looking at the beautiful videos on your site and reading um, about all different kinds of things. And I was was very impressed. And I, I think that I wanted to just say I appreciate the that, that oneness focus, the idea that you are caring about everybody and not just, you know, like you said, there's the economic side, but that you have a multiple bottom line. So there are so many things to consider, and I think that just right off the bat, you are presenting as an inner revolutionary in, in the way that you're thinking about how you fit into the world. And I, I just really value that. Yeah. Well, that's, after you after you comment, Bill, I'd like to say something too before you move on. Oh, go ahead. I um was I was just gonna move on. <laughs> oh well of course yeah, I mean, I've read the Babbitt Constitution before today, and of course, hearing it again, it, it just makes me, you know, really brings tears to my eyes because I am in the corporate world, and um, the way you're conducting the business with the Babbitt Ranches, um, it's a model for us, right? It's a model for all of us, and I hope that one of the things that could come out of this show is that others can hear about this and embrace having a model where there's conversation. Um, on Interrevolutionary Radio, we have sought to bring out conversation about topics that people um, may feel very strongly about. Like we had, uh, uh, we had a show a couple of months ago about um, the conversation around abortion. You know, it's so heated politically and there's so much polarization around it. And we wanted to just have a conversation let people come and tell their stories, talk about how we feel, and it was very moving. We ended up having an event also after the radio show. It was very moving, and what we saw, which is reflected in your your articles of incorporation there, is that when we do put aside our opinions and our judgments, 
and we actually hear each other and we see each other as real people with real needs and real pains um, and real desires, you know, for a happy, healthy life, that the energy of the conversation immediately shifts, right? Because we're not defending our position and seeing each other as an enemy. So, um, you know, bravo and right on. Could you speak, Bill, to the whole controversy around cattle ranching and the environment and how you are dealing with that? Because I know that's something our listeners want to hear you talk about. Sure. Um, And, um, well, uh, you know, largely I think Babbitt Ranches just stays out of the controversy. And so um, it's hard for me to you know, really describe too much about it. Um, I think that we really stay focused on what we do, how we do it. Um, Are we being responsible? Um, You know, where are our obligations and where where are others' obligations? Um, How can we support others with their responsibilities and their obligations? Um, Ultimately, um, you know, recognizing where we're accountable um, and, you know, uh, measuring that up as strengths and weaknesses and making the adjustments um, you know, I think that <clears throat> um, with that kind of thought, um, you know, we really just haven't participated in a lot of the controversy, you know, what people perceive to be controversies. I, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate maybe you'd like to hear more from me about what I think those controversies are. Um, but in the end, I think that I got to bring it back, uh, you know, when we talk about these things. I mean, you know, part of our Constitution also includes what we call cowboy essence, um, and that just reminds us of our character, um, those things that are of value to us, our values, our principles. Uh, you know, are we following through with those? Are we doing our best with those? Uh, you know, I think the other thing is, is um, you know, that we understand um, that sustainability is something that um, when you visit about sustainability uh, broadly, you need to be clear what it means. Um, and, you know, sustainability to somebody maybe that has a financial portfolio, uh, they're looking at sustainability as in, in a growth model, for example. How do we sustain growth? Uh, when you look at, uh, you know, cities talking about sustaining uh, development or, you know, other things. Well, sustainability for somebody else, uh, you know, uh, might be a lot more along the lines of protection, uh, conservation, other things. For Babbitt Ranches, we were very specific in defining what it meant to us. And so what sustainability means to us is learning to live on interest, not principle. Whatever it is that we're talking about, understand that things produce interest. I'll call it an abundance and excess, whatever you want to call it. And that you set yourself up based on that and that the principle, you, you can grow it but or leave it alone, but don't shrink it. And anyway, and that's a very huge concept uh, for us at Babbitt Ranches, uh, you, especially with raising livestock, for example, when you hear people talk about overgrazing or you hear about various impacts, you know, there is a balance and there is a sustainable level, but it's in that margin of learning to live on using the interest and not the principle. Um, you know, I uh, um, uh, Bill, think could that... You, could you give us some detail because many of us don't know what that really means when you talk about creating, um, you know, finding the right balance with, for example, grazing. And I know you've you've created a wildlife corridor and dedicated a part of the lands to supporting um, the environment. So you, you know, you know so much, right? It's all kind of rattling around in your brain, but if you could walk us through a little bit of the detail, that would help. 
Sure. You know, I think that when um, you have agriculture uh, enterprises, you know, and even farming and, and any other kind of uh, uh, agriculture practice, um, you know, you have to understand what where you are, your landscape. Um, and, you know, in Babbitt's case, um, our lands are re- rather diversified. Um, they go from maybe 8,000 feet uh, down to, you know, 4,500, 5,000 feet. Um, they also are broad uh, from east to west. Uh, and so in the wintertime, uh, it may not snow in one area, but in another area it snows. Uh, in the summertime, it could be the opposite. And so you get a lot of monsoon activity where it really rains nearly every day in some places, but in other areas it's very dry. Um, you know, also there are places where we have maybe springs or maybe you have other types of watering facilities. In other words, a ranch needs to learn and understand all about its infrastructure, about its weather patterns, its climate, its topography, a lot of these things. And then on top of that, you start to learn and understand about, well, what wildlife do we have out here? What other variables are in place? Over time, and it takes a long time, but if you're really being disciplined and being aware, learning, understanding, really trying to just be open about what you have going there, you start to kind of just fit in with it. And so when you have livestock grazing, for example, and you say, you know what, um, we had the cattle over on this side of the ranch for the last couple of years, and I noticed that by the time they are moved uh, to another pasture, maybe the grass is just a little bit shorter than we would like it to be. So you make those adjustments and say, well, we can either not have the cattle here as long, or what we'll do is, is put them someplace else this time of year and bring them back at a different time of year. So it's a real... Um, you know, it's a real art, so to speak, in making the adjustments and being aware of your conditions so that when you do talk about sustainability, you know what it is that you're talking about. So if the grass, let's say, I'll give you an example. The grass, when it goes to maturity, grows to 12 inches. And, you know, this is a real simple uh, example. And you say, well, you know what? The interest on this grass would be that we only take one-third of the top or something, you know, one-third of that. So you just take a couple inches of it. You know, you're saying, I don't want to take it all the way to the ground. You know, the thing about grass is is that it, 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 it gets its energy from the sun. And so, you know, it grows up and, and, and it gets, you know, it pops its leaves out and, you know, and all that. And it absorbs the sun. And what it does is it transfers that back to the roots. And, you know, and so the, the, the healthier the plant above the ground and absorbing the sun, then, of course, the better the roots can be. And over time, that makes a really strong plant. But if you say, well, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and, and take all of this grass off this country. Well, then it can absorb the energy from the sun and transfer it back to the roots. And over a period of time, what happens, those roots shrink up and then the plant goes away. So, I mean, really, that's the essence of when people talk about overgrazing, what happens. So, it's just this art. And I use the word art because it kind of is. I mean, certainly you have management plans. Um, you know, you have, uh, you know, thoughts about what you're, you're going to do this next year or over the next couple of years and so on and so forth. But really, over time, those are built on a sense of awareness and, and it's certainly, uh, you know, and, and holding to yourself, you know, holding deeply in your heart that we're going to manage based on living off interest and not principle. Is that kind of what you're thinking? It is. And I, it helps us put in a very uh, granular way like when you talk about living off interest you see the blade of grass and supporting at that uh, granular level that's part of your business model and what I love about what you're saying is it's really illustrating how it's people 
people that are making these decisions and they're they're you know human beings need to pay pay very close attention to what's happening and you are part of um, the environment you know the weather patterns change and that impacts the business decisions that you'll make and again it's just so wonderful to have the human element in this conversation instead of it being like um, a headline conversation somewhere or an academic conversation with people who are very detached because what you're describing is a very intimate connection to the land and the environment and um, uh, you know nature there there is there is so much bad press about cattle raising um, and we certainly don't hear I mean I think that's a lot of what you're responding to, Chris, is, you know, th- this is such a different story and such an intimate and human story. And I, I'm wondering if if it really is just the feedlots that are bad for the the climate and that sustainable cattle ranching like yours is really in balance and there's nothing, you know, th- and there's nothing negative, there's no negative impact would you say that's true, Bill? Well, um, you know, again, I, I really can only speak about Babbitt Ranches. And, um, you know, I, I know what we do here. Um, and I think that any time that, you know, it's possible that any time folks just identify their responsibilities and their obligations, um, you're willing to be accountable, um, staying in a focus of learning and understanding, um, being aware of not only what they're doing and their impacts, but of what others are doing. I think most anything can be good. Uh, and, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I hate to get too judgmental about a lot of things. I don't know where the information in the news and the, and the personal feelings and, you know, and all those things that can come be a part of those discussions that may not be really a, helpful in in those conversations Um, you know I don't know where all that comes from necessarily Um, you know I'd like to add that you know one of the things that um, Babbitts has has identified was if you've heard of a a man named Aldo Leopold um, and you know he talked about an ethical obligation on the part of the private landowner is really the only visible remedy uh, for you know sound stewardship but he also wrote that a land community is a basic concept of ecology but that land is to be loved and respected is an extension of ethics. And, you know, I think that we haven't really touched on it quite yet, but Baba Ranches focuses heavily on ethics. And, um, you know, sometimes those ethics really aren't written um, down. Sometimes they're hard to describe. But at some point in time, they become something that's just inside you. And as a company and as an organization, you know, Babbitt Ranch's community, I feel like there's a real depth to kind of the sense of ethic. And, you know, I think that that drives us as much as anything um, when we make decisions and when we participate uh, in uh, the activities, you know, the daily activities. Um, and um, so anyway, I, I, at some point I wanted to tell you all about Cowboy Essence, uh, yeah. but I, don't, I didn't know if that was now or if you wanted to um, visit some more about something else I don't have any other questions now do you Helen well I just not a question but I I agree with what you're saying Bill fundamentally that almost any endeavor can be done in a conscious and ethical way and I think that's a very important point to be emphasized in this conversation is that it's just that 
is that cattle ranching is no different than any other endeavor that if it is done in a conscious and ethical way that does honor oneness and accountability and mutual support, that it can fit into an environmentally sound and sustainable functioning worldview just the same as anything else. And I, I really appreciate your framing it that way. So, and go ahead with the cowboy essence. I loved that part of your website. Okay, well, you bet. I do too. You know, um, one of the things that uh, about ranching, I think that uh, is rather inspiring. Uh, well, first off, I mean, it's hard to find um, anybody really that hasn't seen a Western movie or, uh, you know, maybe seen some Western poetry or heard country music on the radio. You know, um, it's a big part of our culture, uh, you know. Agriculture in and of itself is a big part of our culture. You know, I mean, you think about things like fall break and fall harvest, you know, and then maybe like spring break, you know, uh, summer vacation. You know, these things are agriculture uh, oriented. In other words, you know, you had the fall harvest and so everybody was taking time off to harvest their crops. And then you had spring break where, you know, everybody's getting their fields ready for, for uh, you know, planting and whatever else. And, you know, the kids would get out of school and stuff. And of course, they would be helping out the best they could to do that. And then summer vacation, you know, uh, you know, we call it summer vacation. But at that time, it probably was, uh, oh, boy, I'm going to work, you know, on the farm, I'm not going to be in school from, you know, May until September. And but in so much of our society, our culture is, is really uh, fundamentally uh, uh, tied to to agriculture, and um, you know, I I think that you know there is there's some inspiration there um, that that's good, um, you know, and so we we try to identify what what it is that really does inspire people because if it was simply being a cowboy, for example, we would have a lot more cowboys. But you know, a lot of people say, oh, I wish I was a cowboy and all, but you know. <clears throat> having a real high-paid job somewhere else probably <laughs> works out for them, you know. I mean, there's uh, some some real some factors there. But anyway, so we kind of <laughs> um, talked about, you know, what is it that that it is that people identify with uh, in the cowboy culture, with ranching, you know, the, the 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 heritage, the the legend, you know, the just the mystique, you know, and all that. And, you know, it really comes down to. <clears throat> What, what we kind of feel like is cowboy essence is the character and the desire to become the best that we are cap- capable of becoming. Um, and, you know, you look at the cowboy culture, um, and, it, and it has been long admired uh, for many wonderful characteristics, you know, like, uh, for example, maybe hard work, integrity, ambition, um, cheat the words are endless self-reliance, family values maybe, confidence, honesty, um, let me see. Loyalty, Com- camaraderie, of, camaraderie, having relationship with the seasons of the year. You know, having your rain gear on, battling some rainstorm or winter storm. Uh, you know, and certainly perseverance through hard times, as well as you know, having a gratitude through the good times. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of words and adjectives and things, uh, characteristics that can describe what people see in the cowboy culture, you know, and the thing is, is that um, really we're fortunate to have this, uh, you know, this heritage, um, and I'm, I'm very thankful for it because it reminds us, um, you know, that no matter who we are or, you know, where we are in our lives, we all have the opportunity to pursue cowboy essence, these characteristics, whether you're working as a, you know, a, a, a school teacher, a farmer, a physician, a family member at home, firefighter, law enforcement officer, a business person, you know, you might work civil service, uh, outdoor recreation, 
you know, student at school, college or something, you know, uh, all these character qualities that make up, uh, you know, cowboy essence are, are available to all of us. And in the end, um, really, you know, it's that it creates this peace of mind that, that comes from knowing our heritage, of course, but that we are at our best. And so when we talk about ranching and Babbitt ranches and the things that we do, whether it's, you know, cattle drives or, you know, uh, the horses, you know, we have our annual colt sale in a couple weeks, uh, you know, working with the wildlife community, um, you know, and researchers and, you know, and just the family business itself, you know, all of our kids and, and all this, you know, being mindful of all of these things that the cowboy culture can help us remind us about, man, it's powerful stuff, you know, and so anyway, that's what cowboy essence is. <laughs> I think it speaks to your heart, not only because you were raised with it, but because it's also the person that you are. And one of the things that we try to do through the inner revolution is help people get back to knowing who we each are, because for some of us, um, through a variety of decisions we've made or circumstances in life, we may have uh, gone very far from who we are, you know, in our essence. And I appreciate what you're saying that these are common human characteristics that create a good life, you know, a good quality of life, a good feeling about ourselves, and a feeling that we're part of something um, that's larger than just our own uh, ego-driven agenda that could be selfish. And I've been very moved by the pictures that you've taken, Bill, that I've seen at different times that look at the nature and look at the ranch different times of the year and different times of the day. And for all of us, whether we see the pictures on the Babbitt Ranch's website or we find other beautiful nature photography to see, it can help bring us back to that part of ourself that wants to be in tune with nature, you know, that wants to remember that there are seasons, that remembers that sometimes we have to persevere very, very, very hard when things seem overwhelming to get to the other side of it. And for most of us, we usually do get to the other side of it. And then there may be another experience where we have to persevere very, very, very hard and then we can get to the other side. And to me, it helps illustrate the need to um, be part of the rhythm of life instead of looking for a quick fix or instant gratification. I wanted to comment also that what you were saying about the cowboy as an icon uh, of America and that it, it has been truly romanticized. And I, I'm glad you made that little reminder that not very many people really want to do it for a living because it's unbelievably hard work and not huge pay. But it does represent, you know, that adventurous and uh, courageous side that we admire in America of people that are willing to work hard and persevere and that you're right, we all do have 
cowboy essence inside us. And I think that's the reason why there there continue to be so many cowboy movies. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, how many cowboys, real live cowboys like the ones on Babbitt Ranch are there compared to how many movies we, you know, we still love the cowboy essence in our society and we and we still pay money to to relate to the, those values. And I, I think that's just a, a really kind of fun part of this whole conversation is to remind ourselves of that, that we're all cowboys inside and to emphasize the, the, the grounded kind yeah. of generic spiritual energy that the cowboy man, you know, represents, symbolizes, um, so it's interesting because it does, as you said, Bill, it adds a mystique kind of to the whole cattle ranching uh, way of life that that I can relate to. I mean, all of my grandparents were farmers in Missouri, and, and that's where you were talking about the kids and loving to be out in the land. And I mean, we loved, you know being afraid of the bull across the fence and all of those outdoor nature livestock kind of of experiences that so many kids don't get now so i i think it's it's is important that you are preserving a way of life that was built 150 years ago you know i did have one question about i i saw on the website something about the year 1639, but I but I didn't see it referenced any other place. Is there some significance to that? Yeah, there is. So uh, interestingly, in, in um, learning the history of the Babbitt family, uh, oftentimes it uh, kind of goes back to uh, 1886 when they arrived at Flagstaff. But there was so much history on the Babbitt family uh, that was prior to that. And so um, looking back in through the the documents and so on and so forth, you know the first Babbitt that came from uh, Europe, you know from England, came over in 1639 and actually landed in Plymouth Rock, uh, you know just in that area there. Wow! And, and you know and, and but but what was what was extraordinary to me in reading that history was what it what inspired them to do the things they did and to find out what was common in what inspired them, but also inspires most anybody. Uh, and, you know, to get on a little boat uh, and go across the Atlantic Ocean in 1639, I mean, you think to yourself, what were you thinking, you know? I mean, truly, I mean, really, not, you know, to be silly, but I mean, you know. How bad uh, was it? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of, lot of experience or record or, you know, a lot of maybe, you know, tragedies on the way and stuff. I mean, you're really throwing yourself out on the line there. And anyway, and then you show up on a shore that you have absolutely no idea what's there. Uh, and you get off this boat, and, I mean, your eyes must be as big as, as they can be. And, you know, and it's the start of an adventure that, you know, in and of itself must have been so overwhelmingly inspiring to them. You know, it just captivated every aspect of who they were as a person. And, you know, you want to draw out character and forge the ethic and, you know, really learn to have to participate with others and, yeah. you know, count on them and do all these things. Well, then what happens is, is so this, these, this, this fellow, this Edward Babbitt, he, he, he goes and moves into uh, Massachusetts, where Massachusetts is now. But then a number of 100 years later, 
they end up going to the call of the West again and move to Cincinnati. And it's like, man, you had all your home there. You had your family. You had, you know, all this good stuff going on and stuff. All of a sudden you're on a wagon, you're heading to Cincinnati and they set up all that family there. Again, it's almost just like, wow, you get off the wagon, put your feet on the ground. It's like, you know, just, man, your eyes are big again. You know, what's the opportunity here? What, what am I doing? You know, what am I going to do? And I mean, you can just, imagine almost the adrenaline that would be going through you uh, trying to anticipate uh, what you're going to do along with the uncertainties of it all. Again, supporting the people around you and having to be responsible for yourself and, you know, and all these kind of things. And then all of a sudden, in 1886, you know, the guy shows up there in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio with these pamphlets that says, move west, you know, it's where it's at. And these guys, they sell everything. I mean, they sell everything. They they pack up their, their belongings and, you know, they head out. They get off the train in Flagstaff. They'd never been here before. Uh, they didn't know. And anyway, and, you know, you just think of that adventure and, 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 and all that. And so for me, the history, um, you know, certainly is, is very interesting to say, well, so-and-so did this or so-and-so did this and all that. And that's all great and stuff. What was more interesting to me but, and to everybody else as well was what was it that inspired all these folks? And I really think that Cowboy Essence captures that. Uh, you know, that, that sense that, that we're all striving to be the best that we can. We're all looking for that sense of adventure and that depth of meaning. Um, and, uh, you know, this leads to one of the other articles in our Constitution. We call it Priceless Values. Um, and <clears throat> it's simply stated as this, with yourself, with family and friends, with the community, and with the environment, one way or another, and in the end, relationships are all there is. And, you know, this is really, really an extraordinary statement for us because even for these guys coming across from Europe and then all the way across the United States and else like that, you know, in the end, it was those relationships, both with, the, you know, internally within themselves and their friends and family, but also with the environment and the times and, you know, just all of that uh, that culminated into where we are today. So anyway, that's. That's the story behind 1639. Thank you. You know what amazes me about all that, Bill, and every time you speak, uh, it's so unexpected to me, the resonance between the innerrevolution.org and Babbitt Ranches. I mean, if you could ask me what is the most unlikely association that in which you could find a great deal of resonance i would say a cattle ranch <laughs> but you know the more you talk about your constitution you know the, and the whole emphasis on relationships it's that's what's at the core of the inner revolution is that it's all about relationships because we are each other and we have to pay attention to those resolutions or, or relationships i'm sorry because they are really what matter in the end and speaking of relationships uh can you talk before you before you move on i just like to add something here um it goes so much farther than just the work of babbitt ranches or the work of the inner revolution and to me when you're describing the cowboy essence what i really hear is the human essence and when you talk about what inspired um, our forefathers to come across the ocean and then to come across the country I think about people who were inspired to go from Syria and come to America to get a better way of life for their family, or, you know, who was brave enough to say, I'll go up to the moon, you know, I'll take that first ride, you know, and those scientists that said, yeah, we can do that, we can figure out how to do that, you know, we'll make it happen. And so when I hear all that, um, I feel more hopeful 
optimal and positive about what could be the future of humanity because here we have this little group of people that are in our little nonprofit and there you have a bigger group of people within the Babbitt Ranches community and we're doing this kind of work which is essentially trying to support human beings to relate and care about each other and build a sustainable life around that and we're doing it on the surface in very different ways but that's what we're doing you know and whether I'm selling insurance or Helen is a um, a counselor you know and you're running a ranch and also some other enterprises we have the same motivation and I have to believe in our heart if these two groups that you know have no overlap with each other other than my commonality um, which is very limited right then there have got to be other groups around the world who have who are also driven by that similar human need and it transcends um, the ego right and it transcends um, what we constantly see in the media, which seems to be that all anyone cares about is themselves. But actually what we're hearing is that we don't only care about ourselves. <laughs> we really actually do care about each other and we value and we crave a real connection. We don't have to agree and that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of what you're describing with how you run uh, your leadership meetings with having a conversation is that we don't have to agree. We don't start out by saying, I'm only gonna have a relationship with you if we agree. No, we start out by saying, let's relate. You know, where are you coming from? Where am I coming from? What's going on with you? What's going on with me? Huh, that's how I see this. I've got a little different perspective. Let's talk about it. You know, and I'm sure in the course of running the ranch um, over the decades, there have been many times where um, the stewards of the ranch may have found themselves in situations where they had unlikely alliances and uh, maybe alliances that you didn't anticipate. And that's the beauty of it, right? If we're open to growing and evolving and connecting with people in a real way, we can look for ways to move forward instead of locking ourselves by saying, I'm only gonna talk to people who have my same viewpoint. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that this is what we're trying to do with Interrevolutionary Radio. It's, it's not meant as any um, you know, implication related to Babbitt Ranches at all at all, we're, this is the message we want to share in a revolutionary radio. Let's talk to each other. Let's relate. You know, let's not hold back because we think that someone doesn't agree with us so we can't say something. Let's actually listen to each other. You know, let's see each other as human beings and then let's see what happens. I love what you're saying. And, you know, it, it segues right into the thing that I wanted to, to ask you, Bill, which is, you know, obviously you... It, from anyway, from my little tiny no knowledge really about the cattle ranching, but it seems to me like you are on the cutting edge, and there's been some very positive press uh, lately in the last few months that we've read about about ranchers with similar attitudes as Babbitt ranches, and and that is the you know the sustainability focus and the environmental. Uh, harmony focus um, and I'm wondering you must belong to some kinds of organizations uh, of cattle ranchers and and are they interested in what you're doing do people call you and say you know how do you do this and uh, do you have opportunities I guess is what I'm asking do you have opportunities to spread the good work that you're doing um well, that's a great question. I, you know, um, Babber Ranches is limited in our um, our participation in, in outside organizations. I think that 
um, you know, I mean, um, we, we have a lot here and that, that we do. Um, and, you know, along with the Babbitt Ranches, we have the Babbitt Brothers Foundation uh, that we operate. We also have a um, nonprofit science foundation called Landsward um, that's extremely uh, proactive in uh, science and research. And, you know, those things um, take up all of our of our, our time for, for, for and pretty busy. <laughs> well, but it, it isn't just about being busy. It's just, yeah. it's just that those are the focus. I mean, our yeah. responsibilities are to the owners and to the broader Babbitt Ranches community. And I think that what we do with the industry itself is, um, you know, um, is, is we share, um, you know, uh, what we're doing. Um, but I think that it's very important to appreciate that just because this is the way Babbitt Ranches is doing it doesn't make it right. And I think that's really important. I mean, you know, we are certainly trying to do the best that we can, um, given that awareness of what, you know, our awareness of things and the variables, our ownership, um, the people who participate in our organization as consultants uh, and other, uh, you know, folks at the university or wherever. And, you know, and, and, and others may have different settings. They may have different demographics of some kind. They may have different interests and so on. And so, you know, how they do things doesn't make what they do bad or good. And, you know, and so I, I'm usually pretty reluctant myself to go around and say, well, you know, for example, this is how you should do it. And I'm even a little bit cautious when I go and say, well, this is what we're doing because I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want that to be misunderstood. I think that we've worked hard. Uh, and deliberately to be uh, where we are today. Um, I think that, you know, we honor uh, greatly our heritage and the, the history that we have um, and, um, you know, and the efforts that they all made to do the best uh, that they could uh, and for others as well. Um, and, you know, in the end, just want to carry that tradition, so to speak, uh, forward and pass that on to our kids um, and uh, let them fly with whatever they got going. I, I understand what you're saying. You know, nobody nobody wants to have anything shoved down their throat for sure. Um, and I'm I understand that completely. And I think just by living the way you are living, you know, is an example to other people. And that, you know, I hope there are opportunities for people simply to be aware. And that's one of the reasons I'm really happy you're on the radio show today. Who knows? Some other cattle rancher, you know, may hear about this and say, you know, I would like to know more about your constitution or your conversation uh, model of of the board. And I, I just just in case they're interested I mean, it's very much like what we do in the inner revolution is, you know, we we show what we're doing. And if people are interested, they let us know. And I think that just the way you're living is such a, an example of a certain way of doing things that other people may or may not want to emulate. But I think there is a growing interest in the kind of sustainable ranching that you're doing. And I hope people do have an opportunity to, to uh, find you. And speaking of that, you know, if people were interested in finding you, how would they do that? Well, uh, the babbittranches.com uh, probably is the best. And, uh, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, going to the, the Facebook page for Babbitt Ranches is, is probably another way to do that. And uh, between those two, they'll find us. Okie doke. Yeah, I, I want to add also that there's a, there's a larger, I think, um, 
and again, Bill, I'm not saying this should be your mission, right? I'm not at all implying that, but but personally, I do have a little bit of an agenda here because how you're running your business to me is a model for how uh, corporate America could work differently. Helen and I recently hosted a show where we interviewed um, a gentleman who's very involved in the in the space of helping to create worker co-ops. So that's one of the uh, movements that we're seeing in private industry to to um, uh, get away from um, hierarchy and domination and to um, create an environment where the workers are more engaged. And again, that's just one structure. But what I love hearing about uh, the Babbitt ranches in your constitution is that without meaning to, you created well, actually, you have you do have an intention, but without meaning to be like a worker co-op or have to go through the process of recreating an entire structure around it, you've created a structure that's very supportive of your staff as well and your employees. Um, I've got a quick note here that we have to take a pause and um, let the listeners know what our show will be for next week. So I'm going to turn it back over to Helen. Thank you, Chris. Okay, guys, next week, the show is How to Be Happier in Our Intimate Relationships, a conversation with Beth Green, a very human and married guru, shakes up our perspectives. Who wouldn't like to learn the secret of being happier in our intimate relationships? Don't you wish you could figure out how to be less reactive to the things that bug you about him or her? Wouldn't you like to learn to be more loving and creative, even when you want to shout instead? What is the secret to intimacy? Is it settling for what you get, or is it trying to change yourself and each other? What did you learn from your family or childhood about intimate relationships? Were your parents happy and affectionate or not? Listen to host Helen Hillix interview Beth Green and learn how we can all improve our intimate relationships. You're sure to find out things that you can practice on your own and make your intimate relationships better. So please join us next week. Back to you, Chris. Thanks so much, Helen. So, Bill, we've got like a minute and a half. What would you like to share with us as we wrap up? Well, first off, I'd like to tell you guys thank you. I mean, this has been a real pleasure. And uh, anyway, it's been fun and I've enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, really, I just guess I would probably close with what we close our Constitution with. And, uh, you know, our last article in our Constitution is by Abraham Lincoln. And uh, he says, we do the very best we know how, the very best we can, and we mean to keep on doing so until the end. If the end brings us out all right, then what is said against us won't matter. If the end brings us out wrong, then ten angels swearing we're right will make no difference. And anyway, I think that's just an outstanding <laughs> quote. And anyway, but in the end, that's what it's all about. So, so there you go. And you, you, you have been just a pleasure, Bill. You're just a sweetheart. And we cannot thank you enough for taking your time out of your busy schedule to join us and to share with the world uh, about all the stuff, great stuff that you're doing. So we're giving you a big hug and thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.